Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, if you're a student, you're dismissed. Weldon, Lord bless you. <laughs> Not a job for the faint of heart. Good for you. Isn't that a great line? You've got a lion in your lungs. Yes. To praise the Lord. That's great. I and what a lovely compl uh, how it fit together with telling your soul what to do. How about that? That's, that's good. That's good. Welcome. I greet you on behalf of my bride and me and my Savior. I greet y'all and welcome you here today. Uh, I'm happy you're here. I'm happy to see your faces. I, uh, I try to pray every day for just about every one of you. Some of you know I do, and some of you don't even know that I pray for you every day. But I, I try to pray by name for you and your kids every day. And um, so it's, it's good. It does my heart good to have been praying for you and then for y'all to just be here. I just love seeing you. Um, normally, when I start, I start, I'll have lessons that I want to share with y'all and I start working on them a month in advance, three weeks, two weeks. Sometimes it'll be Monday morning and I'll be like, oh, this week, to be quite honest with you, only Shirley knows this. This hadn't happened to me five or six times in 40 years of being a pastor. Um, I did not really know what I was going <laughs> what we were going to teach on until, I guess, maybe Friday afternoon. And uh, he, he, buddy, fought, he fought with it all week long. I was, I was fighting and wrestling, and I just could not get... Uh, Direction and so finally, I feel like the Lord gave me what we were supposed to talk about today. And I, I'll just be honest with you, I'm a little, I'm excited but a little nervous to know uh, how God wants to to speak. And so I want y'all just to to really try to listen to what the Lord might want to say to us. There is a word here that God spoke to me in my own personal life. Um, let me read this passage to you. Out of Luke 14, the first few verses, Collins got it up on the board. Um, I'm going to, that's right out of the, I guess the NIV maybe. Um, this is more my translation, but it says the same thing. Um, one Sabbath day, Jesus went to eat with a prominent Pharisee, and Jesus was being carefully watched. Jesus saw a man suffering from an abnormal swelling. And he asked the Pharisees and the scribes, they're the ones that have been watching him. Not watching him, observing to learn. Not watching uh, and observing in amazement. They were watching to find fault. That, that kind of watching, right? Okay? Uh, let's see. And uh, let's see. There was a man suffering from an abnormal swelling. And, and Jesus asked the Pharisees and scribes, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And no one said a word. Now the implication there is they had an answer, but they were fearful to give it. Okay, they were they were they were uncomfortable and certain, so nobody said a word. Is it was it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath. Uh, in their culture, in their society, it was not lawful. It was against the, the, the law, if you will, 
But it was not against the Mosaic law. Moses never told the people of, of Israel not to heal on the Sabbath. It's very important we know that the Pharisees and the scribes, pr primarily, not so much the Sadducees, but the, the Pharisees and the scribes, they had added a bunch of stuff. And one of the things they had added is, if you get sick on the Sabbath, you wait. You wait till Sunday to, uh, to go to the doctor or call the doctor to you. And so, anyway, uh, let's see, but no one said a word. So Jesus healed the man and sent him on his way home. And then Jesus asked, if one of you had a child or an ox that fell into a well on the Sabbath day, would you not immediately pull it out? But the religious leaders had nothing to say. Again, a second time, they have nothing to say. This time they have nothing to say because they know the answer. And the answer is, oh no, if my five-year-old grandson fell into the, a well on the Sabbath, I'd get him out. If my ox or my pig or my sheep fell into the, into the well, I'd get him out on the Sabbath. Clearly you see Jesus' point. If you would do something for one of your own valuable farm animals, by their standards of value, or you would do something for your own child, why are you mad at me for making a sick man well? Why are you begrudging me? Why are you mad at me? Why are you condemning me for doing good to someone when you would do good to someone? What's the only difference? What's the, what's the variable there that Jesus is identifying? The variable is, that man's not my dad. The one that Jesus was going to heal. That's not my dad. Not my husband. Not my son. Not my neighbor. Not my friend. I don't even know that guy. And I think one of Jesus' points is how differently the Pharisees and the scribes how differently they evaluated people, related to people, treated people based upon various criteria. If it was my pig, my goat, my sheep, that's one thing. But it, if it's yours, that's different. If it's my dad, my brother, my husband, my son, that's different. You know what you call that? Favoritism. Partiality. Relating to one or some differently than you relate to others. Right? Is that fair? Is that, is that a reasonable conclusion that I'm making there? Um, I told y'all a couple of, last week, a couple of weeks ago, I don't remember, I'm old. Um, but I told y'all a while back that Shirley and I watched uh, Downton Abbey and we loved it so much. And, uh, you know, 
one of the things that stood out in that show was just how people were treated differently. <laughs> I don't have to say it. Um, there was how a... the classes were so separate. Yes, I mean, yes. very clearly delineated. They, and how, how, what were some of those distinctions or delineations? Yeah, upstairs, downstairs. Yes. Um, um, the folks with windows, <laughs> the folks that had a view, yeah. they had a different deal than the yeah. ones that didn't have a view, person right? person who'd been in prison, um, person who... The girl that had, the lady that had the... Uh, the, one of the daughters had a, had a baby. That's right. And her, she dang near didn't get to marry her husband uh, because, of, because of a past um, mistake or, or bad call or whatever you want to say. Yeah, you so say. it's a good point. Mm. It's just that, that show was wonderful. And we did, a lot of you texted, you should watch the movie. We did. Yeah, we did. It was we great. did. We watched the movie. It was great. Uh, just, but there's, it's very clear that there are us and them. The have, mm. the have not. It's, it's it's really delineated there, and, and even within the 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 them group, even within that group, how there was layers, layers and classes and uh, those that would be treated one way versus other of them that would be treated a different. Way. Again, it what stands out to me is that regardless of the culture, the society, I, and I hope this doesn't offend anybody, I don't mean it to be, but I, I'll never forget I was about, I think we were dating at the time, and somebody gave me like a $100 gift card for doing something to James Davis. Which, Which meant, meant he had to replace his Willie Nelson t-shirt. Yes, yes. That's what it meant. Yeah. And they were, they were fresh out. And uh, I, went into, I went into James Davis. Not kidding. And uh, uh, with $100, which was what I didn't realize, that $100 in James Davis was like 10 bucks in anywhere that I'd ever been. And this guy came up to me, the, the clerk, and treated me horribly. I mean, like, like I, I was out of place. I, I, yes. And I thought, man, for $100, I'll get a whole sack full of stuff. And that wasn't even, you know, uh, that was not the, the deal. And here a guy, what, what struck me, and I've never forgotten it, here's a guy, at that time I was selling real estate uh, for Ken Garland Realty, and I was making Buku's of money. I mean, for me, I, I mean, I was, I was making more money than the tie clerk at James Davis. No, not even close. But he wanted me to know I was not welcome. I, it was beneath him. I was out of my realm, and I needed to go back to where I was from. Again, that, again, the T-shirt. <laughs> I don't know what I was wearing that day. I don't remember, but anyway. Braids come to mind. <laughs> yes, yes. And, and the, my point, uh, nothing's changed from the, time, from, uh, the not early 1900s when Downton Abbey was done. What, 40 years ago, uh, 45 years ago when I went into James Davis, and today, nothing is different. Uh, and Solomon validates that. 
uh, that anything that matters, anything that is important, it never changes. There's nothing new here. Nothing new here. And everyone in this room has experienced and or witnessed that, that favoritism, that partiality that takes place based upon um, race, wealth, what school you went to, clothing, clothing, <laughs> um, being single or married, having children or not, uh, uh, being successful, being uh, famous, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, the irony about that, of course, for me, is that everyone hates when it's put on them. When yes. you, when you, and you know immediately when you're being mm -hmm. looked down on or condescended upon or whatever. We, we universally hate that. Mm -hmm. But then we're, I think, awfully quick then to, to do it, to just... Re and the reason we do is because there's an itchy place in us that wants us to feel, that feel superior. Yeah. So once someone's done it to me, you'd think, oh, I'm never going to do that. Logic would dictate, I'm never going to do that because that hurts too much. But emotion says, well, if I pass it on down, then Somehow pulling myself. people, making other people feel lower than us makes us feel higher. And that's just a part of our brokenness. Yeah. I had an experience, it's probably been 18 years ago, maybe, maybe 15 years ago. I've never forgotten it. I'll never will. I hope I never do. But I was the pastor of another church, and uh, Jerry went to that church in Chuck. And um, I had a man that was a really good friend of her daddy's. Uh, his name was George. He was one of the finest people you, you would ever have the privilege of knowing. And uh, when I came to the little church, they didn't have anything. And so I, I needed somebody to do the yard and to do the be the custodian and take care of the place. And so I called uh, George, Mr. George, and I said, hey, sir, could, I need you to work about two days a week, and I'll pay you good. And he said, man, I'll take that job. And he did. And uh, when, we first, when, I first, when Cheryl and I first went to the church, um, I, what, there was only about 20 of us. And uh, 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 I just paid him in cash. Well, that worked just fine. <laughs> well, the church started growing and all this. Well, we eventually had to hire us a bookkeeper. Well, that screwed the whole thing, thing up. Because first thing they, that person did was they said, no, we ain't pay, we're not paying anybody in cash. That won't work. You've got to pay people in checks. So I went to George and I said, George, hey, sorry, man. Uh, we're going to start paying you in a check. If I had taken a cup of, of ice water and slung it in his face, he wouldn't have been more uh, taken back. And he said, oh, no, I don't want to check. And I said, well, dude, that, that's, that's, we got to. The bookkeeper said we have to, so we have to do that. Um, and he goes, well, that won't work. And I said, well, yeah, it'll work. And uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the end of the story is I got him the check, and I said, just go right down. I'm not going to tell you the bank, although I hope it rots and burns to the ground. But nonetheless, um, you, uh, well, I, I do. Um, he uh, he uh, went out. I said, go down to that bank, because he didn't have a checking account. He didn't have a bank. I said, well, just go down to the bank where our church is and uh, give them that check, and uh, they'll cash it for you. No, they won't. 
And I said, well, yeah, they will. I said, you go in there and try it. He came back that afternoon. They won't do that, Mr. Larry. And I, so I said, so I said, come on, get in my car, go back down there. We walk in, cash a check, just like everybody in this room cashes checks. This is a real bank. This isn't like a hooligan money loan shark place. This is a real, with, with multiple locations, it's a real bank. Some of you bank at this bank. And uh, um, next two, two weeks, here, George, here's your check. That won't work. This went on. George, he went out, came back. I took him down, cashed the check. After the second time, third time, I went in there and I said, Lady, what's, what's going on here? I come, he came, oh, there's a miscommunication or a, somebody's new. Or I have no idea. Uh, blah, blah, blah. This went back and forth, back and forth. I could tell something was wrong. She was saying the right words to me. He can come down here anytime and we'll cash that check. But something stunk in Denmark. And this went on for a month. And finally, after I, I, by this time I was hopping mad. George was mad. I was mad. Uh, I went down there with George. We walked right. We didn't even stop. We just walked right into the main lady's office. Didn't stop. Ask nothing. We, and I said, lady, I don't understand how my friend can walk in here. You know that the money's in the, it's our bank. It's our funds that you can see them in the, in, in your vault. They're there. You, you, I don't know. This is not possible. This is 2005 or 2000 and whatever it is. What is, uh, you know, I mean, be, and, uh, she said, it won't ever happen again. By now, she's frustrated and halfway mad at me, but she said, it will not happen again. I said, okay. Two weeks later, George came back into my office. Well, buddy, I don't get, Cheryl, i tell you, I don't get mad very often. I didn't even bring George. I just grabbed the check right out of his hand. I flew down to the bank and roared in it, and I pointed that lady's face, and I said, lady, I don't know who you are, and I don't know how you run things around there. If my friend comes down here one more time and you don't cash his check, I swear to God, I'm going to call Andy Wise, and I'm going to get him, and we're going to come down here, and we're going to do a, 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 an expose on y'all. There's something. Oh. And it, it wasn't. I, anyway, I can't get into all the things, but it didn't happen again. But it took that. The humiliation that my friend, the shame, the embarrassment to have to come back, a grown man coming into another grown man's office and saying, Mommy, they wouldn't cash my check. They wouldn't treat me nice. How shameful that a grown man would be treated like that. And yet, in a thousand different ways, that takes place every day right in front of us. People getting different levels of help, Respect, promotion, love, attention, favor, pardon, based upon the most 
random of looks, money, power, connections, behavior, status, education, intelligence, talent, race, sex, or, or yeah, gender, age, accomplishment, friends. And regardless of how passionately we are offended at that, angered at that, it, it's a part of it's a part of our society, but folks, the reason it's a part of our society is because it's a part of us. Go back to Jesus' story. If it was your kid that fell into the well, you'd handle that differently. Do we not do that every day? Rachel's daughter, somebody's mean to her, doesn't treat her right. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'll pray for y'all. You treat my daughter wrong? You, you need prayer. Because I'm going to fall on you like a load of bricks. We, we, we do it every day. It's not society does it. We do it. One of the the Bible would tell us that one of the qualities that is absolutely unique to God, it separates God from everyone else, is the fact that God is not a respecter of persons. It's almost hard to imagine, isn't it? Because we don't know an example of that. In our world, no we know one people yet, who try. Yeah. yeah, yes, yes, yes. But a clear example is difficult to find. You say, well, now, you sure about that? Well, let me just read a few verses to you, and then you tell me. Deuteronomy chapter 10. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He's great, and He's mighty, and He's awesome. And he shows no partiality. Peter says in Acts chapter 10, three different times in one chapter, how true it is that God does not show favoritism. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, there will be trouble and distress on all who do evil for the Jew and the Gentile. What Paul's saying there is he treats them exactly the same. But glory and honor and peace for all who do good for the Jew and for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Paul says again in Colossians 3, All who do wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, for there is no favor in the sight of God. Favor being no favoritism in the sight of God. In Job chapter 34, probably the first book of the Bible written. Uh, the Bible says, God doesn't favor kings and He does not favor the rich over the poor for, he, for they all are the works of His hands. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, fearfully live your lives as foreigners from another land. And then finally, just 
In case you ever read that, remember reading that passage in Luke chapter 8 where Jesus is teaching to a crowd of people and Jesus' mother and, and Jesus' uh, brothers, half-brothers, uh, uh, come and they send a word, hey, tell Jesus we're here and we want to talk to Him. And Jesus says, let me tell you who my family is. The people listening to me, the people that have decided to become my disciples and follow me and believe in me and trust me and love me and serve me. And I've always wondered about that verse. What does that mean? Why would Jesus do that? It's not that Jesus didn't love his mom and his brothers. It's not that he was against them. He was not trying to offend them. But he had a point. I don't treat Mary different than you. I don't treat my half-brother James better than I treat you. I, Jesus is declaring, I don't treat people with partiality or favoritism. So what does it mean? Real quickly, we've got to move along here. What does it mean that God is not partial? What does it mean that God, how does that, what does that look like that God does not show favoritism? Well, let me say this first of all, because okay, I know some of y'all are going, hmm, now this, that's, I'm not sure about that. Let me tell you what it doesn't mean. When the Bible says repeatedly that God is, does not show partiality and He doesn't show favoritism, it doesn't mean that God treats all people the same way all the time. Clearly, the Bible would present a different message. The Bible, God does not, and not only does the Bible not say that, we know that intuitively. We know it from experience. Uh, the Bible says that God raises some up and He sets some down. God gives victory to some and defeat to others. God makes some healthy and He makes some ill. God has some people born with two arms and hands, well I guess you're born, but differently, you see, right? We're not, we're not all born the same. Some women have children, some women don't. Some places in the world, some places in our country experience much rain, some places in our country experience great drought. There are specific callings and specific plans that God does place upon certain people. He chose the Levites and the, and the family of Aaron for a very specific family, uh, a purpose. He chose the tribe of Judah to be the tribe of the Messiah. He didn't choose the other one. So it's not that, the Bible's not saying that God treats everybody the same all the time. That's not true. He chooses people for a season sometimes. Yes. And then that season is over. But God's choices, God, God relating to people differently, it's always based on God's own wisdom, God's own love, and God's own sovereign plans. It's never based upon random partiality or favoritism. Um, we know that. I mean, the Bible is filled with examples. I'll just give you one quick one. When the, when the, 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 the farmer that's, that represents God uh, starts hiring workers, and he hires certain workers early in the morning, and they work all day, and then he hires some later, and he hires some later, and he hires some later, until almost the end of the, the day's over, the work day's over, and he pays them all the same. Okay? Clearly, the farmer is relating to people differently, but it's not based upon, oh, you're a woman. 
Oh, you went to college. Oh, you're a man. Oh, you're rich. Oh, you're, you're, you, you haven't made mistakes in the past. Uh, you, you have come from a certain level. Of, it's not based upon random differences. God does not show part. He has plans and He has purposes that do make us unique and distinct. Like you would give one child a violin and you'd give one child a set of golf clubs based upon your understanding of who they are. You treat them differently, but it's not because one's two inches taller than the other one, right? Do you, do, we need to see that. So, and I, can, I have a zillion examples, but we'll move on. When the Bible says that God does not show favoritism or partiality, what it is talking about, let me give you some examples. It does apply to who God loves. If the Bible says anything, it declares from the beginning to the end that God loves everybody. God loves people from all tongues and tribes and races and genders and ages. Isaiah 66 says, I will gather people from all the nations and they will come and experience my glory. Every nation, every people are invited. Come and experience my glory. When the Bible says that God is not, does not show favoritism or partiality, it also relates to who God pursues and who God draws. God is, and that includes you. What's God doing in your life? Well, I can tell you what He's doing. Same thing He's doing in my life. He gets up every morning after He eats His bowl of Wheaties. God begins His busy, continual work of wooing me, drawing me. Pulling me from where I am, regardless of where that is. If I'm stuck in the mud, laid down in the ditch, or if I'm running there, he's still wooing and drawing. That's what he's doing in our lives. Job, he was woo. Job wasn't a Jewish person. God was wooing Job. The, the people of Nineveh, that's why he sent Jonah there. The Ethiopian eunuch, Cornelius. These people, these people are not Jewish people. It, this idea that God has some kind of a twinkle in his eye and a special love for the Jewish people over everyone, that is a lie from the pit of hell. Did God have a special calling and purpose for the people of Israel? Absolutely. But did he love Abraham more than Job? Did he love the people of Judah more than the people of Nineveh? Please understand that God loves everyone and he pursues and draws everyone. God not being partial or showing favoritism applies to who he blesses and he helps. God blessed and helped Naaman who came from Aram. God blessed and helped the demoniac that was living in those tombs. Shirley's reading a book right now about Mary Magdalene. But she was a, a, a pistol. Filled, filled with demons. Uh, yes, and, and how those demons even got into her. And yet, Jesus was pursuing her. 
He was drawing her. Jesus crossed a lake in the middle of a storm to draw and pursue this, this and help this, this demoniac person. Um, Jesus says in Luke chapter 4, Elijah was not sent to help a Jewish widow of which there were many in Israel. Rather, he was sent to help a Gentile widow that lived in the land of Sidon, which was one of Israel's worst enemies. God blesses and helps, but it's not based upon partiality or favoritism. It does not, I mean, it means that uh, it relates to who God answers when they call for help. Ahab, Jonah, the thief on the cross, when these people called out to God for help, this idea that God, um, in fact, there was a huge national debate. I'll never forget it when you and I were in college at, at, up in Virginia, and some, some knothead had come up with this statement that, well, God only hears the prayers of Christians. Well, number one, that's the stupidest thing that could have... But we had this big, huge Christian national debate over that. This was, when I was, this was when I was in college. Clearly, God hears the prayers of everyone. I'm not saying that He responds to every prayer the same way, but I'm saying He, he, he heard the prayers and responded to Ahab, to Jonah, to the thief on the cross. People that, had, that could have given God great reason. To say, I'm not listening to your prayers. You're not worthy to be heard and answered. Some of you in this room, you, th I can tell. Uh, wait a minute, I'm not going to say it that way. Um, I'll, I'll say this way. Some of you in this room believe for random reasons that God does not hear your prayers like he does other people. Because of random reasons. They're more obedient. They're nicer. I don't even know why. They, they have a better spiritual language. Uh, I don't even know. But, but you think God does not, that He treats you with partiality and favoritism for random reasons. And the Bible would declare that's not true. God does not show favoritism and partiality in who He saves. Rahab, Ruth, the Ethiopian eunuch, Zacchaeus, the Apostle Paul, who murdered Christians. God shouldn't have saved these people. How dare He save these people? But He did. Because He doesn't show favoritism and partiality. Acts chapter 10 says, God does not show favoritism, but He accepts people from all nations. Those who fear Him. Later in the same chapter, it says, God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone, this is Peter talking, I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. And then Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, God wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Who God forgives. You know, if you only ask God to forgive you uh, because you only mess up, uh, once a month, surely He'll forgive you more quickly than people like me who mess up every hour badly and have to ask God to forgive Him hourly, sometimes many times in an hour. Surely the person that doesn't mess up as often gets the forgiveness quicker. God doesn't relate that way. God doesn't relate that way. Aaron, Israel, Traveling through the wilderness. David, Ahab, Gomer, Nebuchadnezzar. What a beautiful story of Gomer. 
who experienced the grace and the blessing of God, the love of God, of, or of this man who represented God, and then said, go jump in the lake and walked away from it. What did God do? Withhold, I've given you your chance. I've given you your chance. No. God doesn't treat us differently based upon how many times we've messed up. It's hard for us to imagine because as human beings, we draw lines in the sand. Right? So, I'll forgive you as long as this. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and there are criteria. Yeah. And it's, it's very hard to imagine that we have a God that does not do that. He, he, as you said at the beginning, which was so great, we have no example in this earth. There's nothing like God. You might say, well, I love my kids like that. Everybody has a line. Everybody has a line. Everybody has a moment when they say enough. is." And I'm not even saying you shouldn't. Don't, don't, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that God doesn't. God does not relate to us with partiality or favoritism. How God judges people, rewards people, and punishes people. If you read what the scriptures say, He treats us all the same. In Matthew 25, it says, Jesus says, I tell you that whatever you did or didn't do for the least of these, you did or did not do for me. And then he goes on to say, those that related to the poor and those in prison and those that were hungry and naked, those that related one way will go away into eternal life and reward. And those that related another way will go into eternal punishment, death and eternal punishment. Romans 2 says, God does not show favoritism. If you sin apart from God's law, you will perish apart from God's law. And if you sin under God's law, you will be judged and condemned by that law. The, the point that Paul's making there is that regardless of whether we come from a very strong religious background or not, we still can't live up to God's standards. Therefore, we need a Savior. Whether you are somebody that because you were raised in a home where you were given much love and boundaries and, and uh, space and, and opportunities and benefits and you grow up relatively healthy versus those of us who weren't and are more broken and unhealthy, we all need a Savior. God treats every one of us with impartiality. He does not show us favoritism. My point there that, that um, I wanted you to mention real quickly. You might say, well, of course God doesn't judge people differently. Of course God doesn't reward people differently. Of course uh, God doesn't uh, uh, reward or punish or judge people differently. Um, but you know, don't we at times feel like God does judge us differently? Don't we at times feel like God should judge us differently? I was given a crummy rearing, so God, God understands and gives me a pass on my wrong behavior now. 
I was poor, so he sees my handling of money in an unhealthy way or a dishonest way differently than if I grew up rich. We, we, we want God to consider our excuses and reasonings for why we don't live right. And we want Him to use that consideration in judging us in a lesser way. Folks, that dog won't hunt. God does not do that. God does not do Just because I came from a broken home, therefore when I scream at my wife and my kids, God understands. He doesn't. I never had anything so now for that I'm greedy and selfish and jealous and envious and it's all because I grew up so poor and God understands. He doesn't. God is not. He never shows partiality or favoritism. I'm not saying He should have left us. When we act that way. That's not my point. I'm not saying God won't forgive us. I'm not saying God still won't pursue us. I, that's not what I mean. I've already addressed that. But to think that because I've gone through bad stuff, that somehow gives me an excuse before God to live a less than obedient life. That's wrong. That's wrong. I can be mean and angry and grumpy and cantankerous because my kids don't treat me well. My adult kids don't treat me well. But no, you still get to rejoice in all things and give thanks in all things and be kind and loving and gracious to everybody just like the rest of us. Even if your kids are meaner than snakes. That's what it means when the Bible says that God does not show favoritism or partiality. So, in conclusion... Why is this a big deal to us? You and I were created and then saved, if we are saved, to be the image bearers of God. It is a big deal to God that when people watch my life, they see His character. I'm not talking about living a perfect life, never making mistakes, never messing up. But day in and day out, God wants me to live a life that displays His character. And it grieves Him when I show favoritism and partiality and it confuses and mars and blurs the image of God in the eyes of other people. I wonder if that lady at that bank had knocked on George's door with a gospel track, or George had somehow wandered into that lady's church. She's singing power in the blood and amazing grace and and George looked across the room and said, oh, that's how God must treat me. He shows me partiality and favoritism just like that Christian. It is a big deal to God 
that we don't show favoritism, that we don't distort and hide the image of God in the eyes of others. Part of that not hiding the image of God is that I understand Jesus came to establish in his kingdom justice. That, that's sort of the, that's, that's, you know, justice is, justice is, is the, uh, uh, the, the, the rule of, an, of, a, of a place where there's not partiality and favoritism. God wants us not just to enjoy that. God doesn't want us just to practice that. God also wants us to fight for that for other people. Now I'm not a I'm not telling you how to do that. And I'm not telling you how to do that the way I should. I do believe that part of the early church's understanding of what Jesus wanted them to embrace was this calling, this responsibility, this weight to not only enjoy a relationship with a God that doesn't show favoritism or partiality and not only live that with others as best we can every day, try to live it every day with His help, but to not stand for it when we see it. To not turn a blind eye. Well, I, I didn't do it. So isn't that enough? It's not. Let me just go on and tell you in case you're wondering. It's not. And when we see it, we need to say, no. I'm not saying we need to act like rear ends. That's not what I'm saying. Or, or violence and all that. I'm not talking. Uh, but we, God wants us to participate any and every time we can to establish that which He delights in, and that's justice. Where people treat each other according to the values of God and not favoritism and partiality. Read the Gospels. Yes. And see. Read them. Pay attention to the activities, not just the words of Christ, but the activities of Christ. Or good examples. And Jesus lived that life. He treated people that were outcasts just like the rich. The uneducated like the educated. Ma females just like males. Children just like adults. Gentiles just like Jews. He, he did not treat people with partiality. And he didn't put up with it for one second. And that's, I believe, his calling for us. I don't do that well. But I, I need to. I need to do that better. Anything you want to add for him? No. Okay. Thank you. Ooh. Okay. Um, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And um, I invite you in a minute to uh, take one of these.
and um, hey Jerry, <laughs> and um, uh, eat and drink. And take a minute. Just take a minute. You, you can go right on and start handing it out. Just there in your seat. It, you know, it's going to be okay if you close your eyes and miss 30 seconds of what everybody else is doing. It's okay. It's okay. You'll survive. Why don't you be bold and ask God to show you in your life maybe where partiality and favoritism are a problem. Where God would like you to change that. Maybe in a relationship that needs, it needs to be changed. Maybe some way where God wants you to participate in changing that in our society, in our community, in your workplace. Where your boss treats people differently based upon random reasons. Talk to the Lord. Do business with the Lord. Listen to the Lord. Let Him work. Don't leave here and go, wow, that was interesting. That'll give us something to talk about at lunch. I think what God would like first, leave here and go, I've got something that I need to start working on in my life this week. Okay? Um, before you start singing, Christopher, one second. Uh, I need, let's see here, Stacy. Could I get you and Meredith um, to go over and stand behind Savannah? That's a pretty young lady right there on the back row in the end right there. Would y'all go stand behind her? You, you lady. I'm not going to ask you to say anything. I just want you to pray for her. She, she needs God to do some healing in her leg. Would y'all just pray for that, please? Tim, would you and Esther come over and stand behind my mom? She has some people in her life that really need God, uh, two children, a family with children and then a little boy uh, who really need God to touch them. Would y'all just go over there and, 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 and pray for her and for those people who, who need God's touch. And uh, John, would you and Larry stand behind Mr. Ron right back there on the other end of the back row. Today is his, his wife passed away uh, a number of years ago, but I think he was married to his bride for around 35 years, give or take a year or two. 30, 38 and a half years, okay? And uh, today is their anniversary, and so uh, uh, would, you, would you just pray for God to give them comfort and strength? Give him comfort and strength. Anybody else need prayer? Don't leave here and go, man, I wish somebody would pray for Yes, Marvin. You just want prayer. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. David, would you and Alan stand behind Marvin, please, and just pray for this family, the the Lanier family, Rainier, Rainier family. Would y'all just pray for for them, please? Thank you. Okay, um, I just want us to come to church and experience God's grace and His help and feel His love. And we do this to, to share His love with each other. And so uh, if you uh, will, pray for one of these needs um, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Let's eat and drink and give thanks. Thanks.